Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! Everybody and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Cardi. Hi, Annie. Hey, Walt. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take one book or movie or TV show and then mash it up with a different book or movie or TV show. Yeah. And see where those crossovers happen. Yeah, we need to figure out a word for book or movie or TV show. I, well, I've used piece of media, but that sounds so dry. Yeah, it sounds very academic. Form of narrative. We mash up two pieces of narrative storytelling. That's, Ooh, I mean. That doesn't sound academic at all. No. <laughs> See, that's why book or movie or TV show. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's just, a, it's a hyphenate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can make a movie out of a book or a TV show out of a book or a movie or out of a TV show. Game, yeah, it's it's all one big. book out of a movie. Yeah, it's just a big media glom. Dogs, dogs and cats living together. It's a dog. We're mashing up a dog and a cat. Oh my God. Well, no, no they already did that on Cartoon Network. Oh, it that's was, true. That was already a TV it was, show. It was called Cat Dog. I don't yeah. think I ever watched Cat Dog. No, I think we, I think we were just out of the Cat Dog range yeah. in terms of age. Courage the Cowardly Dog, though. Now, that was oh, actually, jam. I remember I used to babysit kids and they loved Ca- Courage the Cowardly Dog. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. I guess we can totally watch this. And yeah. then I was like, we'll watch 12 episodes in a row. Yes. I was an awesome babysitter. Heck yeah, you were. Yes. Uh, man, binging even in the babysitting days. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> why not? Yeah. Well, hey, uh, what two pieces of narrative storytelling are we mashing up tonight? Today, we're mashing up Deep Blue Sea and the Maltese Falcon. If ever there were two things that deserve yes. the title of narrative storytelling the most academic title oh possible. totally and deep apparent- blue sea is one of them and this is the 1999 shark film deep blue sea because oh, yeah. apparently there's some other movie called deep blue sea that has rachel weiss and um oh, tom, uh, tom, hiddleston, tom right? hiddleston in it and like isn't does not have any sharks for some reason i think even just the poster immediately streamed more classy than the shark movie but that's why it's not interesting. Right. Like, I'm sure it's a perfectly fine movie, but you could make any movie better with a shark. What if they got eaten by a shark at the end of it? I don't even know what happened. An existential like, shark. I don't yeah. Know. What, or what if they were sharks the whole time? Oh, my God. So it's like that painting about these in the guys in the rowboat trying to pull one guy out of the water and there's a shark coming at him. Uh-huh. I'll find out the real name of the painting for the show notes. You know, that painting. But I would love someone to redo that painting with sharks pulling another shark out of the water and then a so man the trying to eat them. The yeah, every every human is a shark and every shark is a human. That's my mantra for life. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, Annie, why don't you tell us why that mantra is so important by taking us on a journey through the deep blue sea. So I feel like I should preface this with the fact that I love giant sea creature movies of all kinds. It's true. Sci-fi original movies. Yeah, like from Jaws to the worst sci-fi original movie, if it has a giant sea creature in it, I'm going to want to watch it. Yeah. Deep Blue Sea is a pretty solid shark movie. Yeah. 
Um, so Deep Blue Sea itself is a 1995 sci-fi sea creature horror film. It stars Samuel L. Jackson, Stellan Skarsgård, and LL Cool J, and follows a group of scientists who are trying to make sharks smarter to cure Alzheimer's. Sure. Makes sense to somebody. Yeah, right? That's how you do science. But you know, that's such a, that's the kind of premise that makes me feel like the screenwriter saw a scientific American write up on that. Like there was like a blurb about somebody doing this and they were like, "Hmm." and I think like that's one of the shark myths that like sharks like, do you know, don't get cancer. And apparently like, I mean, they do get sick in different ways and like, but they also you know, sharks don't lives sleep. Yeah, sharks. I mean, they've been smoking a lot. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Running with a fast crowd. Exactly. Using microwaves with the door open. Yeah. Underwater. Yeah, microwaving plastics. <laughs> it's true. Sharks live on the edge. They do. <laughs> um, so in Deep Blue Sea, um, we follow Dr. Susan McAllister, who has been leading a research team on Aquatica and under a uh, submarine facility to increase the brain size of a group of mako sharks. Um, And I feel like they play real fast and loose with mako sharks in this. Like, they're larger than actual mako sharks are. I feel like they they actually use, like, models of great whites. Yeah, they're way more great whitey. Yeah, but, like, who cares? They just didn't want to be Just make them awesome sharks. Um, so one of the early in the film, one of the sharks escapes and attacks a group of teenagers, a la Jaws 2, uh, shark wrangler, which I guess is a job, uh, Carter Blake gets the shark back, but the event attracts the negative attention of the lab's investors. Major investor Russell Franklin, Samuel L. Jackson, comes to tour the facility and Dr. McAllister wants to prove that she is on the cutting edge of neurobiology and shark biology yeah you know can yeah. i just say for yeah. a second how amazing it would be to have a business card that said carter blake <laughs> shark wrangler and then has a little <laughs> drawing of him like riding a shark that's jumping out of the waves <laughs> maybe it's like one of those laminate cards but on like the 3d hologram print <gasps> Ooh. and so it's like you see the shark jumping, jumping out, out of the water, water and he's right yeah like a cowboy yeah that's that, well, that's that's how you pass that's, shark wrangling school. You have to lasso a shark. Oh yeah, I mean, you go through years as a um, shark rodeo clown. I was going to go there too. I'm yeah. so glad you said rodeo clown. As a clownfish. Oh man. Well, it's been a good podcast, everybody. I think we're going to just wrap it up now and. Uh, you know, we've really enjoyed knowing you all and <laughs> yeah. being friends, but we're no, just going to... we're going down the right way. We're going to so ascend to our final forms of in, pure light now. <laughs> in my secret prequel for Deep Blue Sea, it follows the adventures of Carter Blake as a rodeo clownfish. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really part of like the, the wheel of regeneration, that if you're a good rodeo clownfish, you're regenerated into Carter Blake yes. Shark Wrangler. Yes. Yeah. And not, you know, it's not even like... You regenerate into a human, and his name is Carter Blake. You regenerate no. into a Carter Blake. Yeah. There are many of them walking around. <laughs> Carter Blakes walk among us. They do. Wrangling sharks left and right. Thank God, because, you know, these sharks are, you, they, you don't, want to, don't want to mess with them. Uh-uh. So uh, Russell Frank- Franklin is touring the facility. It looks like they're, like, f- actually going to cure Alzheimer's. Mm. But then a shark bites the dude's arm off, that dude being um, Stellan Skarsgård who ends up in the Avengers later on. Yeah. So very exciting for him. I feel like there's a reason that the starring list that you gave is all actors who are not actually the main characters of the film. No, because <laughs> who is Carter Blake? Yeah. He's no Carter one. Blake, Shark Wrangler. He yeah. only plays himself. Dr. McAllister, <laughs> shark scientist. <laughs> um, so 
the guy gets his arm bitten off. Um, and when they're trying to airlift him off uh, to medical care, his uh, it's during a storm and his body gets knocked into the water. Shark, a shark gets his body mm-hmm. on a gurney and throws it against the glass of the lab, yeah. flooding the lab like... God, they they obviously haven't seen Jaws three. It's true. This is, I mean, Man. it's like checking all the boxes. I love it. Yeah, it's referencing all of the Jaws sequels. <laughs> well, no, they blow up the shark in the end. Spoiler oh, alert, guys. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, but yeah, I love that this should. This is a, so. This is a shark who knows how to this use is, tools. Yeah. Oh, exactly. These yeah. are the sharks who you know they get they they recognize a gun. Yeah. And he's the, not going to run into a window like that jerk in Jaws three. Yeah. Right. Like this is normal shark no. floating slowly toward the audience and <laughs> not moving. Not actually moving please everyone look that scene up if you have not seen jaws 3 because it's the funniest bit of fake special effects ever and like i watched the jaws films when i was like ridiculously young like five years old and even as a kid i was like jaws 3 is the worst one of these Mm -hmm. jaws 3d yes um so back to deep blue sea Mm -hmm. now the lab is flooded there's a big storm and Dr. McAllister has to admit that, oh, she's been doing some sketchy science and making the sharks smarter, sketchy which is science. why they are now flooding the facility. Oh, smart sharks. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> they can download apps. <laughs> I shark. I shark. My shark is playing podcasts nonstop. <laughs> oh, no. Well, my shark needs to download the latest update, but I don't want to update it right away. <laughs> Eddie, your shark is asking for access to your contacts. Oh, Don't no. approve it. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep talking about the <laughs> We're real good tonight. Um, so the humans have to figure out how to make it out of this facility to the surface and not get eaten by sharks. Uh, one by one, unfortunately, the characters get eaten. Yeah. Uh, great moments include Samuel L. Jackson giving a rousing speech to the rest of the cast and immediately getting munched in front of them. Mm-hmm. And then LL Cool J as a cook exploding one shark with gas from his oven. Um, so Carter Blake, Dr. McAllister, and LL Cool J make it to the surface, only to realize that's where the sharks wanted to go all along. Oh, no, you guys. Oh, no, we fell right into their shark trap. Machiavellian sharks. Yeah, they they want to get out and make it to the deep blue sea. Oh, I get it now. Oh, yeah, that's oh. what sharks dream about. It's, it's when not, they do sleep. Yeah, when they do sleep, mm. which actually they do, kind of. Yeah. It's a myth that they don't. Um so there's only one shark left at that point, and he's about to escape. But Dr. McAllister sacrifices herself and distracts the shark, and Carter and LL Cool J get to explode it just as it escapes. Now, what I love about this is it's a shark that is smart enough to herd humans upwards through the facility. Which so that they it can have get... not seen before. Right. They've only been swimming in the water that they are supposed to be in. Yeah, but it, it's they smart enough not to the get plans. them to they allow it out. the plan in the, in the new GPS the update. Yeah, the smart shark. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it's smart enough to get people to bring it to this point. And at the culmination of its de- devious Machiavellian plot, it's like, yeah, but I really want to eat that lady. I just though. want a snack. I really want to eat but that lady. But you know what? As someone who's very food motivated, I understand that. <laughs> it's like if someone like drops a cookie and you're like, that could be my cookie. That's true. I mean, I, I, I don't eat cookies off the floor. Yeah, really. And a stranger es- drops. Especially not cookies that have been trying to make you smarter. No. <laughs> <laughs> What's a cookie that is trying to make me smarter? I respect that. Yeah, I mean, I, I respect that cookie, Doctor Cookie. He's a, at the forefront of cookie science. 
He's delicious. I mean, not a lot of cookies make it through med school because <laughs> no. medical students are really hungry. And if you're sitting in they, front of one in class. They crumble under the pressure. Wow. Wow. I don't even know what comes up next after we ascend into, oh into our gosh. light form. Oh, man. <laughs> well, yeah, like it, it really, this shark just kind of gives oh, up on its own plan. Yeah, it's totally, but you know what? He's alone by that point. And like the ocean is real big. So he's like, well, I don't know the next time I'm going to be eating. That's true. I, I don't want to go out there the on road. an empty stomach. Yeah. Um, also, that lady has been like opening my brain up. Yeah. And I guess the humans have been pretty ineffective at killing the sharks. Yeah. That until point. that point, they're like, you guys are just made of tasty. Right. Like, what are you going to do? Like, dunk me in milk Blow like me a up. cookie? LL Cool J. Yeah. But LL Cool J is like, you you killed my bird. I'm going to oh, blow yeah. you up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah he had a bird. Guys. Yeah. But he gets revenge. Mm hmm. Um, so again, rundown of the characters. We have Carter Blake, hunky shark wrangler, uh, Dr. Susan McAllister, stone cold, sexy science lady, Tom Scoggins, who's Oof. an engineer and like the wash of the movie, um, yeah. wash from Firefly. If you listened to last episode, um, uh, we have Jim Whitlock, AKA Stellan Sarsgaard, uh, AKA dude who gets his arms, arm munched and then thrown at a glass window by a shark. You know, it's a hard life being an actor. It is. Um, Janice Higgins, who is a marine biologist and Jim's girlfriend or something. And she like gets eaten by a shark and she falls in the water and then the shark like oh, jumps yeah. out with her in his mouth. Yeah, it's bad. It's real bad. Um, there is Russell Franklin, a.k.a. Samuel L. Jackson, the Samuel L. Jacksonist corporate executive at a major pharmaceutical company ever. Yeah, he is just there to be Samuel L. Oh, Jackson. Oh, totally. And, he's and great you know at what? It. Frankly, I think pharmaceutical companies could use at least one Samuel L. Jackson oh, on yeah. their staff. Absolutely. Yeah. We would probably get better names for medications, frankly, <laughs> than like... Badass. Snakes! Yeah. Oh I think my. you're going to have to bleep that one out. That's true. Well, we or... lost... Well, there goes the explicit tag, everybody. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, and uh, Sher Sherman Preacher Dudley, a.k.a. LL Cool J, submarine research facility chef and survivor. That's on his business card. Yeah, totally. Um, so some themes from the movie. Flashing back to Jurassic Park. Uh, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So that, you know, question of like, sh you know, you're, you're just plowing forward without thinking about the consequences of science this is not a movie that is especially friendly to science yeah and this feels like that that question in this movie would have been a much easier one to answer if anybody had bothered to ask it like jurassic park it's like no maybe we do want dinosaurs do this we? one it's do we want to make sharks smarter while we're trapped in an underwater building with right them? it's like shouldn't we have just brought these sharks to like land yeah like there's the no airship or something yeah like, but like there's no reason that they have to be still in the ocean while we're right. like cutting like just give them a, a giant pool right and let that happen yeah but you know they're so smart they would still get out they would and they would learn how to walk they would like sneak out in custodial clothing or something <laughs> oh man oh it would be like finding dory where they like steal <laughs> finding, a truck <laughs> finding dory is the alternate reality version i of love Deep that <laughs> oh my gosh i'm just gonna cast the three sharks from the original finding nemo as the sharks from Deep Blue Sea. Yes. And then they all see Dory later and yes. they all bust out of Aquatica. And they just start eating This everybody. is a real exciting oh, yeah. crossover. This is a really good one. Now, Andy, you have three items under the themes of Deep Blue Sea. Of so course I'm very I do. curious for the other two. 
Um, the other theme is sharks love to eat people. Oh, no, that's this true. This is a theme that, that is actually a really bad theme because sharks are animals and like they are not out to hunt humans. Yeah. They just are animals who need to eat. Um, and mostly they just attack people when they mistake people for seals or another regular source of food. Yeah. Um, and like I feel like there's a lot of kind of monster traits associated with sharks because mm-hmm. they are like big and scary and can sure. munch you. But like again, they are just animals and they're doing what nature needs them to do, yeah. which is munching things like seals. It's like Peter Benchley, who wrote Jaws, is like now super into shark conservation. Yeah, because, because he sharks feels bad, right? Because sharks are amazing and they're not like evil man eaters um but they're awesome to see movies about it's true so you know um and the last theme is that survival takes teamwork well most people die but at least ll cool j makes it out alive survival of some means teamwork yes you need to have some chum you you need they all need to work together just like samuel l jackson wanted them to oh that's true um and so this is kind of tying off of ll cool j surviving he originally was not going to survive um, and he was apparently not in a huge role, mm-hmm. but he was like really awesome on set. And He's they were super like, charming. yeah. And they were like, no, we want to give him more to do. Um, and then when they released one version of the film to um, early focus testing, to right? focus testing, to focus groups, they felt like um, Dr. McAllister like basically needed to be punished for <laughs> making sharks smarter. For being a scientist. She originally survived along with Carter Blake, shark, sexy shark wrangler. Um, so in they had to do reshoots in which she sacrifices herself to stop the sh- final shark from escaping and then Carter Blake, sexy shark wrangler, and LL Cool J survive. And run off together. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would go with that one. Absolutely. Um, so some things I like and I think other people will like. Um, one review of Deep Blue Sea said, it's about giant sharks eating people. And that's exactly what you get, which is 100% accurate. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a good shark munching movie, this is one of them. Yeah. And the um, the Samuel L. Jackson death scene was a big movie surprise when it came out. Because who expects Samuel L. Jackson to give a rousing, spe- rousing speech and then bite it? Like, yeah. it's a pretty fun movie moment and the movie finds those kind of fun moments throughout it like and gets all these jaws references in there it's never taking itself too seriously Mm -hmm. it's just a big fun romp yeah i think actually the av club put out a list a while ago of like best scenes in otherwise bad or forgettable movies and the samuel jackson scene was in there because it's it's a really gutsy move oh totally and like yeah you're watching it and you're like man i we're gonna stick together and oh he gives some speech about how he had been like stuck on a mountain with people yeah and they were all freezing to death yeah they were all freezing to death and like some people didn't survive because of the cold but then other people didn't survive because of people (gasps) yeah and he's like they'll you know i've seen the worst of humanity and like that's way worse than a than a shark that got smart yeah so the shark eats him yeah exactly (laughs) the shark is like no man yeah. I'm, I'm just as bad as people. Yeah, but they like have a really deep and thorough backstory sketched out for this guy. Yeah. He just gets nommed on. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And I and another piece of Deep Blue Sea trivia was that he originally, I think, was offered the the chef's role, which they the guess was, cool yeah, was slightly different. And he was like, eh, no, I don't want to do that. That's boring. And then they revamped 
this role for him and and that included that like surprise death scene and he was like i am on board with that absolutely so so yeah kind of a, a fun little bit of movie trivia samuel L. jackson liked it and you will too exactly um, so do you want to tell us a little about the Maltese Falcon? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Another Mal- um, animal-themed movie. Oh, it's true. We're keeping on the animals. Well, actually, yours has an animal-themed movie that with no animals in the title, and mine has animal in the title and no animals in the movie. So it's like this Well, I guess we're inverse. not doing this crossover then. Oh, my God. How will they ever get along? I don't know. They're the original odd couple. Um, so The Maltese Falcon is a 1941 film starring Humphrey Bogart, directed by John Huston. It's actually his first uh, direct, his directorial debut. Um, he then went on to make a lot of really wonderful films like The Man Who Would Be King and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Um, the movie is based on a novel by Dashiell Hammett, um, which I also really love. Uh, but I would recommend watching the movie because it's pretty close to the book and thanks to making the film at the time that the Hayes Code was in effect the movie winds up alighting a lot of the book's sort of casual homophobia Um, so like the book one of the characters is referred to very throughout the book uh, by a number of gay slurs Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like effeminate characterization it's present in the movie it's not like John Huston was like no we must be progressive about this but the Hayes Code prevented the display of homosexuality homosexual acts and so the movie version actually ends up coming across as a little less oogie than the book um, which is interesting yeah I find but uh, it's yeah so I would recommend watching the movie Um, the reason that I still think I mean there's some problematic elements to it but uh, the story as a whole is the source point of a lot of the sort of hard-boiled detective uh, genre in detective fiction and establishes a whole lot of things that we'll talk to about in the themes Um, were you gonna say something Um, yeah I just uh, I was looking at his name and I want to say it's John Houston because I looked him up and he Oh, it's okay. I didn't want to like be like it's actually. Pardon me. Well, actually, <laughs> um, but I just looked it up, and his daughter is Angelica Houston. Oh, well, there you which go. Which I was like, wait a minute, that seems coincidental. And then, yeah, it's a Hollywood family. Well, I apologize to Angelica for saying her last name wrong. You can come hang out with us anytime, Angelica Houston. It's true. Also, I think that it, when talking about a movie slash book that's all about like dudes being dudes and how awesome dudes are and how great it is bros, to be manly, bros, bros. Um, having a. Uh, a woman splaining moment is, yeah, is fitting, I think. Um, actually, <laughs> uh, equality, lady splaining. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, the basic synopsis of the Maltese Falcon. Uh, it's set in San Francisco, city of fog and mystery. Um, Humphrey and Bogart, the San Francisco treat. Uh, I don't know that there are any streetcar bells in this movie, <gasps> which feels like a missed wow. opportunity. Wow. Are there any streetcars? Not that I know of. Not that I can recall. I mean. Uh, the, like the most I know about San Francisco is Riceroni and Full House, so that's not a whole Neither lot. Neither of those are in there. Oh no! Missed opportunity. Oh, Uncle Jesse, what were you doing? It's before they knew better. Um, but uh, set in San Francisco, uh, Humphrey Bogart mm-hmm. plays Sam Spade, a private eye who works with his partner Miles Archer. Um, Spade and Archer are approached by a woman named Ruth Wonderly, who <laughs> is looking for her missing sister, and wants the two of them to follow Floyd Thursby. Uh, mm-hmm. the There's man. some real good names oh, here. Yeah, Dashiell Hammett was like in that sort of Ian Fleming kind of way really good and really terrible at names it gets better from here um what do you mean i like those names i, I wasn't making fun of them oh yeah but they no. feel real They're like very detective like, story names yeah they get a little more obvious as we go on um so ruth asks 
Spade and Archer to follow Floyd Thursby, who's the man her sister has been seeing. Uh, and Archer does, but then is killed. Um, Spade gets the call that he's been murdered overnight. And then later that night, Thursby himself is killed as well. Uh-huh. Um, the police suspect Spade of killing Thursby. Um, as revenge for Archer and they sort of rough him up a little bit because that's what cops do in these stories Um, Ruth comes back the next day and reveals that she was actually using a pseudonym and has not been telling the truth her real name is Bridget O'Shaughnessy she may be (laughs) Irish Shag Hennessy (laughs) (laughs) exactly Um, and the man who she had asked them to tail was actually her partner um, Spade is a little miffed, but agrees to track down the real killer. Partner is in like romantic partner no, or, or in, partner like, in business. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Spade says he will track down the killer, um, partly just to clear his own name since the, the police suspect him. Um, Later, Peter Laurie turns up at Spade's office, uh, being just his Peter Laurieist, uh, sort of little creepy dude, um, offering Spade five thousand dollars to find a black statue of a falcon called the Maltese Falcon. Um, he then pulls a gun and searches Spade's office, or tries to, but Spade knocks him out because Spade is way cooler than he is. Um, Cairo wakes up and hires him anyway uh, because I guess he passed the test. Or Cairo just didn't have a lot of other options. Huh. Um, so they find each other. That's, um, a, further that's in- a really interesting way to do business there. Yeah, well, it's Peter Laurie. You know, he doesn't come across as the most business savvy fellow in the world. That is true. Um, further entanglements ensue, ensue. It turns out that Cairo and O'Shaughnessy are working together for a, named ma- a man named Gutman, who is also referred to throughout as the fat man. Who is um, the opposite of the thin man, which exactly. is another detective series. By Dashiell Hammett. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he wrote oh, the book that it's yeah, based on. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, he had a limited range for names, but he used the most of it. <laughs> yep. Um, but uh, the three of them, <laughs> along with a hired gunman named Wilmer, are searching for this uh, bird statue, which is called the Maltese Falcon, and it's apparently made of solid gold that's been covered in, like, a black material to disguise it. It has a whole historical basis in, I believe, the Spanish Inquisition or all sorts of... The Spanish Armada, all sorts of things. Inquisition. Uh, hey, nobody Inquisition. expects it. Nope. Um, Further entanglements ensue. Spade gets knocked out with a drugged drink. Um, a ship's captain, played by Houston's father, Walter, in oh, yeah. a cameo that uh, was done to sort of wish John luck in his first film. Yeah, again, Hollywood um, family. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the ship's captain staggers into Spade's office, having been shot a lot, but is carrying the Falcon. And uh-huh. so Spade winds up with the Falcon. Um, he's running around in this tangled web of no good nicks uh, and finally gets everybody in a room together and they start hashing things out. And he reveals to them that he has the Falcon at a different location, but makes him giving it to them contingent on them both paying him a lot of money and pinning the murders of Archer and Thursby on Wilmer, the gunman, which is yeah. somewhat fair because Wilmer almost certainly killed Ar- killed Archer anyway. Um the bird is turned over, but revealed to be a fake. Um, oh, no. I know. It's We're a bummer. Bird. Um, in the hubbub after that, Wilmer escapes. Gutman and Cairo uh, go off ser- to search for more leads about the bird, and Spade calls the cops on them almost immediately. Um, in the it's book, like, Dear 911. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I got some I've guys had the for weirdest you. weirdest day. I know. Um, in the book, actually, Wilmer ends up coming back and killing Gutman. Oh, um, wow. But uh, I don't believe that happens in the film. Um, then Spade has one final reveal to make, which is that he knows it was actually Bridget who <gasps> killed Archer after all. Is that even her Ba-ba-bum. real name? Probably not. It's like, it's a little on the nose. Um, 
she's a redhead in the book. Um, it's a black and white movie, so it's oh, hard to shag tell. Oh, shag Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bridget tries to sort of femme fatale her way out of it, but Spade sends her up the river anyway and utters the line, I hope they don't hang you, precious, by that sweet neck, mm. which is like the creepy detective version of Han Solo saying, I know to Leia in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. It's just like... Ugh, I feel like I, it's like it's it's more negging than that. Yeah, it is actually. But she's yeah. also on her way to death row. So. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like, yeah. oh, you're a murderer, but I guess you're kind of pretty. Yeah, it's pretty cold. Yeah, um, they have slept together at that point as well. That's one of the entanglements. Oh, that is that ensues. in is that in the movie or is that in the book? I can't remember actually. Okay. Um, I'm sure that Just it's at from least the... implied. Yeah. Um, so characters in the film, you've got Sam Spade, Private Eye. Miles Archer, convenient corpse and well-established in the film and especially in the book as even sketchier than Spade. Um, he's being a little more leery towards He's Bridget a little in more winky scene. in the private eye business. Oh. Because he, I. I, oh, I yeah, get it. Okay. Yeah. He's, a, he's a winky smiley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sam Spade doesn't smile. Oh. <laughs> you have Bridget O'Shaughnessy, Femme Fatale, uh, who again, maybe is Irish. Um, you have Gutman, the crime boss, Cairo, Peter Laurie, there's no other way to describe him. Wilmer, the Gunzel. Um, this is actually an interesting note that this was one of the ways that the movie got around the Hayes Code about homosexuality because Gunzel at that point was also slang for a man in a homosexual relationship. Oh. Um, yeah, they had all sorts of weird words because they weren't allowed to say any Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, it's, again, the movie not being particularly enlightened, just not being able to be as blatant as the book is. Mm. Um, you have Pole House and Dundee, the two cops. Uh, is one, one is... of them from Australia? <laughs> he's actually a crocodile but he's but he's from jersey in a trench it's weird coat. yeah he's a crocodile in a trench coat um and then there's the other ladies in the book all of whom sam either hits on or is sleeping with um it's, there's you know the james bond approach exactly there's iva who is archer's widow who spade was having an affair with oh, which wow. is another reason that the cops think spade might have knocked yeah. off archer um and then there's effie his secretary who is like his girl friday with weird sexual overtones mm. um she's basically a walking advertisement for workplace sexual harassment laws um man yeah it's a bummer it's, yeah um themes slash fun stuff in this film um this is a movie that really encapsulates the idea of like a private eye having kind of the absence of a code as opposed to a moral code um spade is really motivated primarily just by money and survival and See, he fights really hard for both chaotic um, neutral yeah, I would say he's. I would say he is lawful or, evil or or lawful neutral. Okay. Probably lawful neutral because he follows the rules and he doesn't. But wish he doesn't anybody have harm. a code. Um, I guess he doesn't wish anybody harm, but he stays within the law, mm. but only because otherwise he would get arrested. Um, so he. Yeah, he's this guy who's very much in it for himself, and he does good, but sort of incidentally. It's a very mercenary approach. Um, Hammett had talked about when he was working on the book this thing that a lot of things in the book were drawn from people that he had worked with as a private eye. Hammett had been a private eye for a while mm. and a Pinkerton. But that Spade is a complete fabrication, and Hammett described him as the kind of detective that all private eyes sort of think like to think of themselves as, or like aspire to, of this guy who's just totally in it for the job, wants to do a good job, won't screw anybody over who shouldn't be screwed over, but like doesn't get wrapped up otherwise. Um, very James Bondy. Yeah, it's very James Bondy, just um, with a different job and with less of like a playboy a a attitude, oh. um, closer to the more. 
I would say closer to the more modern James Bonds than like the Sean Connery, Roger oh, Moore yeah. party guy James Bond. Like Spade is just kind of he's frumpy and he just kind of like wants to get the get his Aww. work done. Um, so that plays into like this idea of the loneliness of the tough guy. Masculinity is a huge theme in the book uh, and in the movie. Again, the book has all of this stuff with sexuality about it. That's re- but it's all tied into like who's a man and who's not and what it means to be a guy and to be a good man and all that. Is it like being um, a gold falcon inside of a fake just trying falcon. to get out yeah oh and, and then it turns out you're led after all oh no oh. i was not led to believe this and you're on fire tonight i know <laughs> <laughs> um and of course crime doesn't pay uh things that this movie and book established is really where it is notable. It's also just a really well-made film um, and fun to watch and the the dialogue is great, but it set in motion and codified a lot of tropes that go with the hard-boiled detective genre. Um, The hard-boiled detective himself, uh, this idea of the loyal secretary, the femme fatale, the intricate crime plot full of disparate and weird and wild characters, um, sort of Hayes Code era nihilism. There were all these film noir detective and pulp movies before the Hayes Code went into into effect that are way more freewheeling with their violence and sex mm. and stuff but then once the code went in place movies had to get a lot more circumspect about it mm. and detective stories became a way for them to do that because the bad guys would still pay in the end but you could still have fun with them in the meantime and rough them up and yeah have the femme fatale exactly even you if could, they didn't actually get to sleep sleep together on camera yeah you could be really coy about it which ultimately i think led to a lot of better storytelling um but it also put a lot of limits on the stories that could be told so some negative but uh yeah um detective sort of patter and patois and like just like joke ups uh in, in detective films really snappy dialogue a lot of comebacks uh and then of course the macguffin plot um the maltese falcon is looked at as like the epitome of a macguffin in a movie which is a it's a a plot device or an item that makes the plot happen, but is ultimately pretty incidental to the plot itself. Um, the Maltese Falcon isn't that important ultimately, but it's the reason that all these people are in the room together. And then it really codified Humphrey Bogart's film Persona. Um, yeah. This is the movie that Ingrid Bergman watched a whole lot in preparation for Casablanca to work with him on film because it ended up bleeding over into a lot of his movies, including his other collaborations with Houston. Um, and uh yeah i think uh it's a really fun movie it is you know as with a james bond film or a lot of detective films and stories uh you have to look past some things to get to the heart of it but it is a really really sort of crackerjack plot and well written and the dialogue is great and the performances are wonderful as well Mm -hmm. so that's the maltese falcon and i think that leads a little bit into the first thing that we can talk about is a thematic crossover yeah um which is i think that for various reasons both of these movies would be looked at as guilty pleasures yes. by some people uh, because i know deep blue sea is not a great movie like this is not gonna win any awards mm-hmm. the acting isn't especially great the yeah. cgi isn't especially great um but it's a lot of fun and again i really dig i don't watch a lot of horror movies because i'm very easily scared but i love giant sea creature scary movies <laughs> yeah because I'm also a little rooting for the giant sea creature. Um, and this is a really fun one. Like, yeah, it doesn't take itself that seriously. It hits the beats you want it to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, um, LL Cool J survives yeah. and goes on to fight crime in, like, was it CSI Los Angeles? With no, Chris that's, O'Donnell? that's Ice Cube. 
No, that was uh, Ice Cube was on NCIS. No, um, SVU. SVU. Another acronym. Oh yeah, is Ella Cool J one of them? I thought so. I thought he and Chris O'Donnell were in that show together. Um, oh, good for him. Yeah, because like, yeah, he's on NCIS, um, Los Angeles. Okay, good. So yeah, good. like that's where he is now after surviving the sharks. Yay! Um, you mentioned the bad CGI. I just remember the AV Club article that talks about Samuel L. Jackson's death scene mentions that for a moment the shark that eats him looks like Jabberjaw. <laughs> <laughs> Because the CGI is not great. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, still a fun, exciting moment. And yeah. I'm sure if you're in the theaters watching it, it would be kind of a big surprise. Yeah. And I think we were talking about this earlier and this idea that um, I think I personally feel like, and I think you agree, that like there's really actually no such thing as a guilty pleasure. Oh, totally. Um, like, there's... I, I can't think of anything that is could be classified as a quote guilty pleasure that you should actually feel bad about from like yeah. like eating ice cream in your pajamas to watching a bad movie on a to, Saturday morning. Yeah, exactly, because to, you can understand when something is bad in its plot like in Deep Blue Sea, it's kind of shaming scientists. Yeah. When I love science and I love sharks, like I don't think they're giant man-eater monsters. Yeah. But I also really love movies that have sharks as giant man-eater mar- monsters. Yeah, and like Multi Falcon, along with so many other pieces of media from that time period uh, and today, have a lot of problematic elements to it, but. Being aware of those problematic elephants and still enjoying it is not Problematic ele- elephants? Problematic elephants. <laughs> That's the title of my memoir. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag, um, your elephant is problematic. Yeah, but I think that it's important to have perspective about the things that you watch and the things that you enjoy, but you shouldn't feel guilty for enjoying them. Um, yeah, so, yeah, as long as you kind of understand what's what's not so great about them yeah. and and where the problems are. Yeah, if I met somebody who either uncategorically loved Deep Blue Sea or the Maltese Falcon or both and like was just totally over the moon about them, they were their favorite things ever, no questions asked. No irony. None, no. I may have some suspicions of that yeah. person, but at the same time, you know what? Like what you like. Yeah, you know? as long as you're not hurting anybody with it, sure. Exactly, and it's not making you a bad person. Yes, um, or a bad shark. Oh, sharks. I don't know if sharks would enjoy Deep Blue Sea. This is a question worth asking. Would yeah. super intelligent sharks enjoy Deep Blue Sea? Uh, probably not the ending. Yeah, well, but they could see it as a movie. tragedy. It's a Shakespearean yeah. tragedy for them because that final shark is very close to it's success. So and close. then his fatal flaw is it's, wanting to eat her. Yeah, his fatal f- flaw is being hangry. Oh, oh no. Hangry hubris. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there, buddy. For sure. Um, how about other thematic crossovers for these two? Um, the it's kind of sketchy organizations, um, yeah. both, you know, like not even just crime, but like the, the police, obviously, and mm-hmm. the, the Maltese Falcon don't seem so great. Yeah. Sketchy Scientists. plot elements and plot devices. It's like, oh, we need yeah. a reason for everybody to be in a lab together. Right. They're trying to make sharks something... cure Alzheimer's. Yeah. It's we like need Al- all these criminals Alzheimer's in a room. something? Yeah. yeah. Let's get a golden bird. And, and, you know, we need our investors to come along. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Also, there's a bird. <gasps> Such birds. There is a real bird. Yeah, and it doesn't and end great for either of no, them. No, it really doesn't. Oh, poor birds. Um, but how about the physical crossover of these movies? So I feel like um, almost kind of making it a Jurassic Park approach. I mm-hmm. I would say that um, you know we're gonna we're gonna bend some time rules here. Oh yeah, totally. I think yeah. they can occupy the same time period. Yeah. Um, 
that in addition to maybe these are not the best scientific practices going along, but um, Dr. McAllister has been looking for ways to fund her lab, and she has investors, but she needs more money because sharks mm, ain't cheap. Yeah, and you need to have shark surgeons on hand because <laughs> the their hands the are not on hand. They're part of the union, they're they're all exempt. <laughs> exactly. Um, so she has had to get some sketchy, shady money from, mm-hmm. was it the fat man? From, yeah, Gutman. Gutman. Um, and she knows it. She's like, I really have to cure Alzheimer's. Not because I just want to, because that's a passion of mine. But he's going to take my But thumbs. also because I need to be able to have this pill and then make a bajillion dollars off of it. Ah. Or he's going to come in and take my sharks. Yeah. And my thumbs. And my thumbs. Well, that I do science with. He's gonna do. He's gonna feed my thumbs to my sharks. Oh my gosh! My smart sharks. (laughs) Justice. He's gonna download my sharks. My smart sharks. He's gonna download my thumbs (laughs) right to the shark. I like that. I like that. I for me, this crossover hinges very much on how smart these sharks are and become. Are they? Because, are you imagining them as sharks who dresses people? Well, I don't. That did cross my mind, but I feel like we've covered that pretty well. So imagine this: Sam Spade gets an anonymous tip that the Maltese Falcon has been located at a, at a sunken ship. Uh-huh. And is being held at an underwater research facility. Uh-huh. And so he is hired by Gutman and Cairo and Bridget O'Shaughnessy to go. Is Bridget O'Shaughnessy an actual shark? <laughs> that's the twist she's, ending. That's why she's the femme fatale, because she is a, 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 a shark, shark. And she will eat She's very fatale. Fatale. Um, but I think that the sharks, having killed everyone in the research lab, have, except for a few of the survivors, have put out a call saying that the Maltese Falcon has been found. Uh-huh. And then all the characters come to the lab in order to look for the Falcon. It turns uh-huh. out it's just sharks. It's sharks all the way down. Uh-huh. And they have to help battle the sharks. If the sharks are even smarter, then they built robots who are Cairo and Gutman and Bridget O'Shaughnessy oh, and okay. send them out of the world to round everybody up. <laughs> and if they're super smart, then yeah, they morph themselves into people. And, and just wear trench coats. Yeah, because if you're smart enough, you and, can fool anybody. And ride the trolleys in San Francisco. <laughs> just ringing the bells. <laughs> ding, ding. <gasps> They're having all sorts of San, San Francisco treats. Because people are delicious. Mm-hmm. It's tourist season. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, we wind up with a criminal who done it on an under, underwater research yeah, facility. Yeah, oh, exactly. And like yeah. everybody's trying to battle the sharks and yeah. the sharks are winning. <laughs> exactly. Because they're sharks and they're yeah. super smart. Oh, yeah. But Sam's made is Sam, Sam's made. Sam's <laughs> Sam Shark. Oh, Shark Spade. Maybe. Ooh. Okay, here it is. Here it is. They all go through these machinations and all the humans are like, yay, we did it. And But then it turns out that Sam's Spade. He's like, is, I have one more reveal. He's on the shark's payroll. <gasps> He's been working with the sharks the whole time. He was a clownfish rodeo. <laughs> a clownfish rodeo. That's the title of my country album. <laughs> Got my memoir, it's, my country album. Just Man. Hitting all of the good titles this week. Yeah, but I think Sam Spade is totally working for the sharks. Yeah. Well, I mean, the sharks have literally been captured, mm-hmm. been made to undergo medical experiments. Yeah. And They're they the literally here. just want to get out. Yeah. So they I They want to escape. I think he does it and I think he gets LL Cool J to help him. Yeah, maybe LL Cool J and that's how he gets into the detective work and meets Chris O'Donnell. There it is. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> 
So this is really a triple crossover. Yeah. Or a crossover slash prequel. Yes. Sold. Um, all right, do you want to play some games? Yes. Cool. <laughs> Kiss your faces. Who's making out with sharks? <laughs> oh, man. Who isn't making out with sharks? <laughs> Just give me that opportunity. Oh, man. Um. So, I mean, Sam Spade is is looking around for love. Um, uh-huh. In all the wrong places. Oh, yeah. And I feel like Susan, Dr. Susan McAllister, yeah. she seems like a, a good... And maybe not quite femme fatale, but she's got that yeah. stone cold. She's morally ambiguous enough yes. that I think they could have a lot to talk about. Yeah. But she's also very determined and steely. And and, and like, he and he would find out that she again has this shady dealing with yeah. with Gutman and whoever. Exactly. And she'd be like, I'm doing it to save lives. And he's like, I don't care. Is it gonna make us rich? And she's like, Yeah, probably. Yeah. And he's like, Marry me, sweetheart. <laughs> I've been a shark the whole time. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, they're both sharks. I'm just, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good one for Kiss Your Faces. I think uh, Bridget would probably win over um, Hunkyman, every um, dude. Uh, uh, Carter Blake. Yeah, Carter Blake. I feel like she could she could get him wrapped around her little finger. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, he's he's such like a a lawful good in the yeah. movie. Like he's just like uh, he's he's a very boring action hero. That's true. In that Maybe way. she would wind up going out with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. They'd be a power couple. They would, actually. Super power couple. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And he's like, you know what? I've done some bad things in my life, but I've moved on. Yeah. And she's like, so have I. And I'm not on death row anymore, I guess, because the sharks saved me. Yeah. Um, Thanks, sharks. Thanks, sharks. (laughs) They are good at jailbreaks. Exactly. Uh, Um, uh, Battle Dome. Unless they're out of Kiss Your Faces. Oh, I'm trying to look. I feel like we should have a... Uh, um, male male couple, and then like really, yeah. you know, like support the the man relationships as yeah. opposed to like. Well, Wilmer gets very yeah. poorly treated. Um, as is Cairo. Uh, they are the two in the book who it is very who hinted probably... at. Have a, they have a relationship? Okay. In the book, it's very explicit. In the movie, it's hinted at. Um, Peter Laurie needs some love. Yeah. Um, Wilmer is just I forget who plays him, but he's like a, a young he kid. Sh- he's like a teenager. Basically. Oh wow. Yeah. Um. Well, I think um Tom Scoggins is again he's like what an unfortunate i know right but like he's a nice enough guy and like he he ends up like kind of rising to the occasion and like getting like the doors open or something and then he gets munched by a shark oh yeah that's true um but you know he he ends up doing pretty well so i feel like he could he could earn some love in here yeah and then maybe peter lawrence and stellan skarsgård run off together yeah, because now they're both kind of funny looking, and they're both a little funny looking. They're, yeah, they're and, a little addled. Yeah, and like um, Stellan Skarsgård has lost his arm, yeah. so Peter Laurie's gonna help him through that. Yeah, and Peter Laurie's been knocked out a lot, so you know he's probably got a few concussions. Yeah, so right. Aww. They're helping each other. Out. Yeah, with their various medical issues. <laughs> exactly. How about Battle Dome? Who are who is fighting sharks and how? All right. Um, Again, who isn't fighting sharks and how? <laughs> I, uh, I feel like, um, I mean, Gutman's got to get like eaten by a shark. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like he he gets run down. I think. Um, and yeah. maybe Miles Archer. That's how he goes in the beginning. <gasps> yeah, a shark kills him on the streets of San Francisco. Yeah, never saw it coming. No, it's so who foggy. who does? Exactly, it's so foggy out there. How foggy would it have to be for a shark to swim through the air? I think underwater. <laughs> I think it would have to be incorrect. The ocean. <laughs> wah wah. Aww. We're we're literally talking about sharks riding on trolleys and and walking through the streets of San Francisco. That's true. Just, um, just it would have to be eighty percent foggy. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> that's it. That's the that's what they call what we in the weather service call the shark threshold. Yes. Watch out for sharks today. Yep. Cloudy with a chance of sharks. Aw. Don't go outside, please. That's, that's a real dark take on that children's book. I know. It didn't. It was the first draft, and the editor talked him down. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, other people, I mean, everybody in the Maltese Falcon fights with everybody. So yeah. I feel like they're all just kind of garrulous people. So. I can see um, Carter Blake and Sam Spade fighting. Yeah. Because again, Carter Blake is just, he's like a real good guy. Yeah, he's boringly good. He's boringly good. And yeah. he would have issues with Sam Spade kind of not caring about the moral good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, does LL Cool J fight anybody? Um, I am going to say that LL Cool J fights, um, maybe Miles Archer. Yeah. And maybe the two cops too. Yeah. Because, you know, he's having, he's having a rough time before he becomes a detective. Yeah. And I feel like. And he realizes he doesn't want to be that kind of cop. Yeah. He's going to. Yeah. He's going to be a good cop. Yeah. Because he, I feel like he might've had like a tough life before becoming a chef because he's also religious so i think he like turned to religion after some bad stuff oh yeah in his he, past. yeah he mentions that at some point yeah yeah i think so so maybe he's like and he's he's turning his life around mm-hmm. and he he hates corruption yeah and he wants to just get out there and help people exactly who either maybe fighting sharks maybe they are sharks maybe they're getting eaten by sharks yeah whatever, whatever it is he's gonna help the people of san francisco he's gonna be a shark cop yeah <laughs> he's he's on the coast guard <laughs> Um, I feel like Best Buddies we touched on a little yeah. bit. I feel like Yellow Cool J and Sam Spade kind of inspire each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think and- Sam Spade like tre- shows him the ropes and then Yellow Cool J is like, okay, I need to go be my own good and, person now. Yeah. And maybe um, like Effie and, I, you know, I'm trying to think. I feel like she- There's nobody for Effie yeah. really. Effie, I think Effie stays home. Maybe Effie and Carter Blake. Oh, she yeah. just needs a nice guy. That's true. Yeah, maybe like Carter Blake comes back to the office afterwards to de- to debrief for everybody, and like Effie's there, and he's like, "Oh, and hello. he's like, hi. and he's like, hi, how are you doing? Your boss is a real jerk to you. Yeah, like I I worked for a lady before, and I just survived a lot of sharks. Yeah, so why don't you come out to dinner with me? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So that's actually kiss your faces oh, that again, is a kiss your faces. but that's okay. Yeah. Best buddies. Eh, this is an extreme bunch of folks. And you know what? A lot of times I feel like we end up with um, fandoms that are not sexualized. Yeah, that's so true. So we have a harder time with Kiss Your Faces. And this yeah. we have two more sexualized um, fandoms here. So let's sharks, just go with it. am I right? Oh, sharks. yeah. Who are the sharks getting together with? Other sharks. Yeah. Smart sharks. Yeah. I mean, they're out there. Smart, they, these smart sharks have Tinder. Oh, I, w- I would swipe, but my fins are too far oh, apart. No. Oh, no. Finder. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just going to leave that there. Wow, we've got some really good puns this week. Yes, we do. Um, well, let's ride that train right into some recommendations. Oh, why don't we? Oh, my God. Um, so for more giant sea creature fun, um, Jaws, the classic and really best of the man-eating shark films. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaws 2, in case you really liked that early scene of teens getting attacked. Yeah. Um, more as, teens, please. Yeah, right? As a five-year-old, uh, that was my favorite of the Jaws movies. <laughs> because... Because you were watching all of them when you were five. Oh, yeah. Like, I loved them. Um, and I think I would, like, play Jaws 2 with my Barbies. And a shark wow. toy. Would they get eaten? Well, no, they would fight the sharks. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Good um, job, Barbie. Yeah, right? She's good hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's The Shallows, in which Blake Lively faces off against a great white. Um, and there's Lake Placid, which is technically a giant lake creature, but has Betty White and a big old crocodile. And that makes for a good time. Yeah, and Betty White is really good in that movie. Yeah, oh, t- Betty White is good in everything yeah. i feel like betty white is the samuel l jackson of the lake placid universe absolutely and i feel like lake placid even more so than deep blue sea is a movie that knows it's stupid and is having a lot of fun with it like oh, it is yeah. a, more, a more intentional spoof yes there there are more specific points of humor where the film like actually wants you to laugh mm-hmm. whereas deep blue sea it's like a little nudge nudge wink wink yeah but it's still very much focused on being a, a silly adventure movie yeah exactly um, there's the host, which is technically a river monster, but it's uh, Jun Ho Bong, which whom uh, is a director we've talked about before. Snowpiercer, and, and is great. Um, mm-hmm. He sure does have a great style as a director. Yeah, Snowpiercer Amen. did not hold together for me, but he's got a vision which I appreciate. Absolutely. Um, and there are also sci-fi original movies like Sharknado, Megalodon, and Dino Croc. And they're just really ideal when you are hungover and need a bad sea creature movie. I'm a little bummed that you didn't put Sharktopus on here. I was very disappointed with Sharktopus. Really? No, wasn't that the one that um, oh, yeah. we watched? And, no, oh, we no, watched, no, that was Debbie Harry. Debbie, uh, um, that was Giant Shark versus... Giant Octop- Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Yeah, oh, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. not a good one. No, not, because not it was not enough of either. Or Giant Octopus. Yeah, it was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. Too much Debbie, Debbie Gibb? Debbie, Debbie Gibson, yeah. Debbie Harry, Debbie. Yeah. Too much Debbie. Yeah. Too many Debbies. No, thank you. <laughs> that was a, that's a terrifying sci-fi original movie. <laughs> Too many Debbies. <laughs> it's like that multiplicity movie. Oh, poor Michael Keaton. Oh. Um, for more bad science decisions regarding making a dangerous creature smarter, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, Not Jurassic World. No, Don't Jurassic World. See Jurassic World. Okay, so if I if they I had made, to watch they, they either made the dinosaurs smarter and the humans dumber. So basically, dinosaurs deserve to take over that park. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I wouldn't trust anyone in Jurassic World to run a Wendy's, let alone a dinosaur park. You burn. You burned. You're on notice, Jurassic World. But Jurassic Park is amazing. Yes. Um, and again, has that kind of questionable, should scientists have done this theme? Mm-hmm. Um, and for more Samuel L. Jackson finding a bunch of angry animals in a contained space, snakes on a plane. Ultimately a disappointing movie, but Samuel L. Jackson is great. It is. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, that's, mm-hmm. you know, the unfortunate case of a movie that didn't know what it had until the internet told it. And then yeah. it went back and tried to retrofit. Didn't work. No. But we but, sure went to see it on opening weekend. Oh, totally. And you know what? It was a fun time. Yeah, it was fine. And the theme song, the oh yeah, the ending the song, the credit song, the credit song is actually fantastic. It's real good. I forgot about that it's song. It's still one of my favorite workout songs, yeah. to be honest. So go download the soundtrack to Snakes on a Plane, or just download that one song. Yeah, the, the end credits. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's um, my recommendation if you want to dive into some monster sea creature movies yay how about the maltese falcon um my recommendation list for the maltese falcon has has reached any like proportions yay um partly because my main recommendation is if you're ever a high school junior going to shadyside academy in pittsburgh uh take liz garvey's hardwell detective fiction course which is Is what i did uh i believe she still teaches it oh wow um and it was my introduction to detective fiction as a genre um we read a lot of amazing books and it sort of started my love of the genre so thanks miss 
Mrs. Garvey. Aww. Um, yeah. But uh, because of that, was I have... Was she a shark the whole time? Probably. <gasps> she made really good cookies, though. Ooh, right on, lady. Yeah. Um, so, some recommendations. Um, the Thin Man, uh, both the so book good. by Dashiell Hammett and the movie series, for sort of totally delightful... The movie series more so than the book. The book is good and, like, very mm-hmm. funny, but the movie series has, like, a bubbliness to it that it's... is super fun. I feel like um, if you like the Franny Fisher series, mm-hmm. the Nick and Nora movies are right up your alley. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but they're both really well worth a look. Um, Red Harvest, also by Dashiell Hammett. It's my favorite book by him. Uh, and it is the book that sort of es- established the plot framework and inspired uh, the films Yojimbo and then A Fistful of Dollars as well. Sort of classic, like, rogue guy sets two warring factions against one another uh, in order to profit story. Um, There's The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. If you want more twisty-turny detective plots, this one is so twisty and turny that it actually doesn't make sense. Um, Oh, no! There's a story of during the filming of the movie, uh, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, who were playing the leads, uh, sent Raymond Chandler a letter basically saying, okay, we've got everything about the plot except this one question. And they, they asked him, like, what happens to X character? And Chandler realized that he did not have an answer oh, and it didn't no. make sense. It's still super duper fun, though, and super good. Uh, for more Humphrey Bogart being the sort of persona that Maltese Falcon helped codify, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, also John Huston working with Humphrey Bogart, is just a super fun, if nihilistic, uh, exploration thriller. Um, and then there's, of course, Casablanca for Smooth Bogart. Oh, that's a good one. And yeah. Peter Laurie. Uh, it's true. That yeah. is a movie that I didn't see until college, and it was actually a really weird first watching experience because you're watching it, and every line that somebody says, you're like, that sounds like a ripoff. Oh, wait, no. This is where that line came oh, from. Oh, totally. Like, it's it yeah. just hits all those points that you expect it to hit, but in the best way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for movies that play, along, play around with detective genre format, um, there's The Big Lebowski, which is a wonderful Coen Brothers movie. Um, like most Coen Brothers movies. I liked it the first time I watched it, and then every time after that that I have watched it, I like it more and more. But the basic premise of it is they take a straight up film noir hard boiled detective story and like cut out the detective and put a stoner in his place. And the movie holds together entirely along those lines and is hilarious. Um, There's also Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which is a great film. If you like your hard boiled detectives with a side of animated characters. And there's City of Angels, which is a musical that is, like, truly ridiculously huge in its scope. It's incredibly hard to produce. Um, It is a musical about the creation of a film noir detective movie in the 1930s, and half of the musical is in black and white. Um, because it's also showing scenes from this movie that's happening. And so, like, the costuming design, makeup design, you have to have black and white characters, you have to have sets changing. It's really, it's delightful and crazy, and the songs are pretty fun, too. Um, The Long Goodbye by Raymond Chandler um, is, I felt, it's actually the most recent detective novel that I've read. I read it last year, and it's a fascinating kind of almost sentimental or elegiac sort of detective story like there's a lot of uh 
pensiveness to it that I really enjoyed. Um, that's worth a look. And then if you're looking for different voices in the detective genre, which is something that gets overlooked a lot, um, there's the Easy Rollins books, um, especially Devil in a Blue Dress by Walter Mosley, um, about an African-American detective in LA in the 1930s. Um, Devil in a Blue Dress has a great film adaptation starring Denzel Washington and a young Don Cheadle, and it's the movie what? that sort of launched his career. Aww. Playing just... Is he but the, like super bananas in that movie? Yeah, he's playing a character named Mouse, who is like the sort of criminal sidekick, and he's so good in it. Um, Aw, Don Cheadle. Yeah, he's really great. Um, There's uh, the books of Dorothy B. Hughes, which I have actually not read, but she was a female writer contemporaneous to all of these other detective fiction writers writing hard-boiled detective novels. Um, I only recently found out about her, which I'm a little bit embarrassed by, but I'm super excited to read her books now. Uh, So you should as well. Um, And then there's a uh, recent comic series called Fatale by Ed Brubaker. Um, It's a comic series about a woman who is essentially... um, a femme fatale, uh, like archetypical, but she has the power to make men infatuated with her, whether she wants them to be or not. Mm. Uh, and so she can both like get them to do her bidding, but also like she has these guys who are sort of weirdly obsessed with her. Um, and it all wraps up in this kind of supernatural Lovecraftian plot. So it really becomes like hard-boiled detective meets Lovecraftian horror. I've only read the first few ep- issues. It's really interesting. It seems like it was building to some really fascinating things about the genre um, and about the idea of a femme fatale. Mm. So I'm excited to read the rest of the series as well um care for kids it's for grown-ups it's got lots of the bloods and stuffs and the violences and all of the darkness but uh yeah so if you if you're a cool kid you can cool kid or a cool baby if you're a cool baby to quote the McElroys yeah Um, so yeah uh I would say give that a shot because I'm going to be as well um that was a lot of recommendations yeah isn't it fun to do reader's advisory it is fun um but yeah um thank you guys so much for listening uh if you want more material that's not just recommendations but all sorts of things you can visit our website at crossoverrepealpodcast.tumblr.com and if you have thoughts about what sharks would do in san francisco you could email us at crossoverrepealpodcast at gmail.com i also kind of want to make a design of a t-shirt that says there's no there are no guilty pleasures yeah so if you want to do that and email it to us you should yeah or maybe we can make it and then sell it as part of our podcast we should totally do that yeah all right we'll get on that um and when we do we will post news about it on our facebook page which is facebook.com slash crossover appeal podcast and we have one of those fancy twitter accounts hey the tweets that we are tweeting at crossover appeal no podcast, just straight up crossover appeal. Crossover appeal. We got that one early because characters matter. Yeah, much it's like true. USA, they are welcome. And actually, they're not welcome on Twitter. There's a limit. Yeah, that is true. The but anti-USA. Can, oh, and sometimes if you tweet too much about Sound of Music Live, they throw you off it yeah. for a little while. Any one of the only people I know who has gotten kicked off Twitter for its daily limit. Yep, tweeting too much. Like, Annie, too many feels. Annie, I think it's time for you to take a break. Yeah, right. It was very unfair. Yeah. But uh, Crossover Appeal is still going strong. Yeah. So twitter.com slash cross or at Crossover Appeal. Um, and then you should subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a rating and a review if you already do, because that helps us get the word out and find more listeners. Yeah, and we really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can leave a review telling us about your favorite giant sea creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have pictures of sharks and trench coats. 
Yeah. I'm sure that could be in a review. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Probably. We would totally do that. Um, I, at first when you said that, I thought you meant like, smart if, you have, if you have taken a picture of a shark <laughs> in a trench coat, we want to see it. Call our hotline now. I, I do want to see that. 1-800-TRENCHCOAT-SHARK. Actually, we know marine biologists. I bet if we gave them a tiny, like, I'm sure they have like dog sh- trench coats. Oh, yeah. And like you could just put them on a shark for like a second. And then maybe a little fedora. Oh my god, right on the fin. Oh, right there. Oh my god. Make it happen, world. Yeah. We need this. <laughs> and then I guess encapsulated in a review. I and then really the sharks would be like, literally, you cut our brains open. Yeah. And now you're putting us in fedoras. They would have earned their eating us. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I root for them in the movies. <laughs> Yay. Well, we're gonna keep on rooting for those sharks for another two weeks, at which point we will see you back here. But for the meantime, thank you very much for listening. This has been Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Cardi. And we are reminding you to, as always, please ship responsibly. 